So our reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 16. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then receive me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or pushes himself forward or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. What anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me but I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. We are in the middle uh, of a series here at North Point, currently looking at the power of the resurrection. What does it mean to live in light of the resurrection, to be children of the resurrection? Uh, two weeks ago, Kyle started us off and led us looking at meekness. Uh, we saw that when we truly die to our self, um, that when we truly die to ourselves, God gives us a meekness that is humble and powerful. And then last week, David took us through the first half of this chapter, chapter 11, um, and showed us how there is power in true humility. 
And so today is sort of a, a part two as we come and we finish chapter 11. And as a reminder, the context of this letter, 2 Corinthians, is um, that there were these, there was this group known as the super apostles, okay? These were Paul's opponents. And we don't have a ton of details about them, but um, they were apparently commending themselves, boasting in all of the, the things that they had done uh, as servants of Christ. And the members of the Corinthian church had fallen for this. They had fallen for these tactics. Um, and as Paul wrote in verse 3 of chapter 11, they were being led astray from their sincere and pure devotion to Christ by this boasting, this self-commendation. Now, in our modern era, boasting um, is considered to be rude, right? If you know someone who's kind of boastful, uh, it's, you, kinda, you know that it's kind of a rude thing, right? But back in the first century, boasting was actually, it was normal. It was even admirable because back then, to achieve glory in this life was really all that one could hope for. And so if you travel to Italy and to, to cities throughout the ancient world, uh, even today you can see on monuments and houses, you can see lists of um, accomplishments. Um, people, would, people would list the things they had done for their own glory. And it was a whole culture of boasting, um, which we can't relate to at all, right? I mean, imagine for a minute a culture where it's all about accomplishment, it's all about status. It's all about your resume, what you bring to the table. We have no idea what that looks like. Uh, so these, these super apostles, they were boasting in themselves. They were boasting in what they had done for the church. And, and they had won over these Corinthians. But these are people who were dear to Paul's heart. He loved these people. And if you remember last week uh, in chapter 11, Paul says, I, I'm jealous for you. I want to present you as a, as a bride of Christ. He loves them. So what is he going to do? How is Paul going to win these Corinthians back, uh, back to his side, back from the grip of these super apostles? And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Paul's response. He, he had invested so much in, in this church. What does he do? Uh, we're going to look at, at what he does, three questions, what he does, how he does it, and why he does what he does. So first, the what. What does he do? You've probably all heard the old phrase, if you can't beat them, join them, right? And that is exactly what Paul does. So he resorts to the foolishness of boasting himself. These super apostles have left him no choice. They, uh, back in chapter 10, you know, Paul has just said that the Lord does not approve of those who boast in themselves. Uh, he, he says the one who boasts should boast only in the Lord, but they've left him no choice. Uh, he, if he has any hope of winning them back, he's going to have to talk about himself. He's going to have to boast in the things that he has done. Uh, he can't beat them, so he's got to join them. But he states up front that this kind of boasting is foolish. And this is what this little section here in, in 16 through 21 is about. Paul is basically saying here, look, you know, these guys are boasting like the world boasts. And, and so even though it's not what the Lord wants, right, he says, he says, I'm not talking as the Lord would. 
This is not what the Lord would want me to do, but just bear with me for a minute. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what these super apostles, these people that you love so much, are doing. And you can sense in the text that, and Rob did a great job of reading it, that he's, he's kind of fired up, right? He's using sarcasm and, and, uh, and irony. You know, since you admire these people so much, these people who have, who have uh, abused you, these people who have enslaved you and exploited you, since you love them so much, I'll just act like them. And so he begins, as the Corinthians probably would have expected him to, he begins with his background, his heritage, his Jewish pedigree. So he says uh, in verse 22, you know, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. And then in 23, are they, are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. Again, he's saying, I don't, you know, I don't want to be doing this. I don't want to be boasting uh, of myself here, but, but just bear with me. I'm out of my mind, but yes, I am more. He, so am I, he says. I am more a servant of Christ. And if we were Corinthians in the first century listening to Paul, we might then expect him to go into a list of all his accomplishments right? We would expect him to talk about the churches that he's planted, the miles he's traveled, the converts that he's made. But that's not what he does. And that brings us to the how question. So he resorts to boasting, but how does he do it? And the answer is that he turns the argument totally upside down. He turns it on its head. And it happens right here in the second part of verse 23. Paul uh, resorts to boasting, but he boasts in his sufferings on behalf of the gospel, not on his strengths. So he says in 23, are they servants of Christ? I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. And then after that, he just launches into this litany of his own sufferings. And it's interesting here that there, uh, there's a lot more here in his list than we read about in the book of Acts, which just shows us that, that Paul likely suffered much more than we can imagine. There's likely much more to his experiences than we actually have record of. In verses 23 through 25, he talks about his imprisonments, his beatings, and his near-death experiences. And it's not easy or comfortable for us sometimes in the 21st century to think about these things. But I think it's important for us to pause for a minute and, and acknowledge the intensity of the suffering that Paul experienced, that he underwent. Jesus had warned his disciples back in the Gospels that they would be handed over and flogged in the synagogues. And that's what we see here has happened to Paul five times. Um, flogging was a, a punishment that was prescribed in the Jewish law. You can find it in Deuteronomy chapter 25. And the 40 lashes minus one is, is interesting. In, in Deuteronomy, it says you, you, can't, uh, you can't go up to 40, uh, has, or, or otherwise the, the person who's being punished is just humili completely humiliated in front of the community. And so in order to be extra careful not to break the law, 
um, they would do the 40 minus one, um, the 39. So he says, five times I received the 40 lashes minus one, three times I was beaten with rods. Now flogging was a Jewish method of punishment, but beating with rods was a Roman punishment. So what Paul's really saying here is, it's coming to me from all sides, Jew, Gentile. He's been flogged, he's been beaten, he's been stoned, which you can read about in Acts chapter 14. It was so bad that they dragged him out of the city and left him for dead uh, outside the wall of the city. They thought he was dead. So Paul, who at one time had persecuted Christians, probably with these methods, um, experienced them himself many times. So then he moves on to uh, the dangers involved in travel, right, in verse 26. Now, travel in the first century would certainly have been dangerous uh, for many reasons. He says he's experienced danger from Jews and Gentiles. He's experienced danger in the city, in the country, on the sea, which basically is everywhere, right, the city, country, the sea. It's everywhere. Then he talks about suffering related to work and hardship, He's often gone without sleep, maybe from working late into the night, making tents to support himself, maybe from um, preaching late into the night, like we see in Acts 20. So far, all the sufferings that Paul has mentioned are external things. These are things that have happened to him. But in verse 28, he says, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Here, Paul talks about his internal suffering, his concern for those that he loves, his anxiety for all the churches. This too is suffering for Paul. So he recounts this long list of sufferings and and these are things that the cultural elite of Corinth would have completely turned their noses up to, right? Successful people were not cold and hungry and naked. They weren't beaten. They weren't working late at night. They're disgraceful things. They're opposite of what would have been held up as admirable in Corinth. But with ir irony, Paul is claiming that these things are what actually make him a better servant of Christ. In this last section, 30 through 33, Paul reiterates, he says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And then he gives a specific story. In a way, this story can kind of seem out of place, right? It sort of um, feels like it was tacked on there at the end. But I think to first century listeners, it would have been quite dramatic. It's a story that depicts Paul as utterly weak, totally humiliated. You see, Paul had come to Damascus in order to persecute Christians. He was on the way to persecute Christians, and on his way there, he met Jesus and was converted. And it says that in the city, he was being guarded so that they could, they could find him and arrest him. So they put him in a basket and they lowered him down the wall so that he could escape. 
So the man who had come to persecute Christians had to escape secretly as a persecuted Christian. The beginning of Paul's whole ministry then was marked by this incident. And there's nothing in the story of which to be proud. There's also something else interesting about this story. Um, in Roman military history, as the Roman army would, would have been advancing against a city, the, the first soldier to, to um, scale the wall and to climb over would have been granted this great honor. It would have, it's one of the highest honors that a Roman soldier could receive. And many of the authors that I read said that Paul's audience likely would have had this image in their mind as he's telling this story. So in contrast to going up the wall to conquer, Paul is lowered down the wall so that he can escape. So at this point, we know that Paul boasted in his sufferings in order to try to win back the Corinthians. But now we turn to the final question, why? Why would Paul think that boasting in his suffering would be the way to win them back? Some of you may know the story of Johnny Erickson Tata. In 1967, she was 17 years old, and she was in a diving accident that broke her neck, and she became a quadriplegic. She had no use of her arms or legs. Since then, for over 55 years, She's been confined to a wheelchair um, with very limited mobility. In the immediate aftermath of her accident, Johnny fell into a deep depression, wondering what is my life for? What, is, what good could possibly come of this? And as she began her long recovery, she, um, she really wrestled with God. But about two years after her accident, she decided that she would write a mission statement for her life. And this is what she wrote. She said, I want to be God's best audiovisual aid of how his power is displayed in weakness. I want to be God's best audiovisual aid of how his power is displayed in weakness. Johnny eventually went on to found a huge ministry um, over 250,000 people came to know Christ through a movie that was about her life. In 1989, she was invited to be at a Billy Graham crusade in Hungary. I mean, one can only guess at the, the number of people who have come to know Christ because of her prayer to display God's power through her suffering. Boasting in his suffering was the only way that Paul could redirect the Corinthians' attention and allegiance back to God, back to the gospel, back to Christ, the ultimate sufferer. The power of the gospel is that Christ is one who suffered. Jesus didn't preach a message of achievement and upward mobility. He instead, he modeled a life of persecution, of service, and ultimately of death. Christ was one who suffered. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, if you want to know if I'm a true apostle, then look at my suffering, because I'm following the one 
who suffered for me, who died for me, who died for you. Christ's glory is his divinely humble service of others, his suffering, his death, his resurrection. This is the message of the cross, which Paul seeks to embody in his whole ministry, everything that he does. The power of God for salvation was death on a cross. This is a hard message for us. I don't like to think about having a life of suffering. But the irony is that Christ's power is displayed most fully in our weakness. Christ's power is made evident in our suffering because it points to the grace of God that sustains us in our weakness. And in fact, Paul had already said this a few chapters earlier, back in chapter 4. He's talking there about the knowledge of the glory of God in Christ. And he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Our weakness, our suffering, shows that this resurrection power of Christ in us is not of our own making. It's not from us, it's from God. Our suffering shows true resurrection power. And that's why Paul says later, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. Paul delights in his sufferings so that Christ's power may be displayed. Paul has suffered the things he lists here because of his dedication to the preaching of the gospel. And it's a good reminder to us that there are Christians all over the world who still face the types of hardship that Paul faced. There are Christians right now who are suffering, even unto death, for the sake of the gospel. And we should pray earnestly for them. We should remember our brothers and sisters in Christ. But that doesn't mean that this passage is only for missionaries or people who are in, you know, quote, real ministry, right? All Christians are servants of Christ, who bring peace through the work of Christ. Whether you're an accountant, a parent, a student, a doctor, whatever we do in all of our various roles and relationships, we can let our suffering point to the true resurrection power of Christ. Your suffering, whatever it may be for you right now, can display Christ's power. Paul boasted in his suffering because it displayed Christ's power, because it brought the Corinthians' focus back to Christ. There's a song that I love, and we're going to sing it together in just a minute. It's called, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. And the second verse of that song says this, The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. 
for by my side the Savior he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need his power is displayed. May we be people who labor on in our weakness, but who labor on rejoicing, because in our suffering, the resurrection power of Christ is displayed for all to see. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the example of Paul, who boasted in his sufferings so that your power could be displayed. Help each of us to live our life with that aim alone, to reflect your resurrection power through all the circumstances of our lives. Amen.